It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, we've got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? You will deal with that Atlas harshly. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. I can't put it to words. How, what we're going to discuss this week, what we're going to discuss. Uh, a little Lacey Evans and Ric Flair chat, and a little bit of MVP chat. So we're actually going to talk uh, to a great extent about today in wrestling, along with this week in wrestling, in wrestling history. I'm the above average comedian, Dan Calchico. I'm Dan Law 83. Craig Lagans is that Craig Lagans. He'll tell you how to spell it later. It's not hard. You'll find Craig. You see, Craig did what I did, which is the smart thing, is our screen names are the same across the board. Easy to find that one. Welcome to HIC Talk Radio. So, yeah, you know, uh, I don't even... <laughs> don't really know where to begin on this one, but uh, Lacey Evans is pregnant. Now, before we discuss the entire thing, let's just oh, get this out of the way. She's legitimately pregnant. Yes. Okay. That being said, <laughs> I have no comment on that. She's a woman who has a relationship. She is pregnant. I don't care either way, negatively, or but it doesn't... It, She's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. Great. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> here's the problem with this woman being pregnant. Here's the problem with this fucking uh, woman being pregnant. No, I don't uh, care if she's pregnant. What I have a problem with is the writers of Raw. <laughs> and the problem being is not only have they written this into storyline, but they've written in that the father of the baby is probably the nature boy Ric Flair. Yes. I, 
Well, you, you know, well, the the whole thing was Ric Flair is going to be managing Lacey going forward uh, sure. against Charlotte, possibly to the, the the women's championship. We don't know, but this whole thing was to promote the uh, Lacey Charlotte feud and to hopefully once again this will be your second major push get Lacey Evans who is a better heel than she ever was a face yep. uh, back up into the main event status and using the rub by Ric Flair uh, but that was so I don't know how long they were, how far they could take that anyway given uh, I mean the only reason they put her with Rick in the first place was because Lacey is not strong on promos and despite what a great character she is, putting Flair in there would help her out, most definitely. But, Dan, what we're missing here is the key to all of this, to Lacey Evans' pregnancy. Uh, what what makes it so um, compelling uh, is that is it the second time a woman was slated to have a heavyweight this lady to have a women's championship match against Asuka and had to back out due to pregnancy. Thanks so, a lot for Asuka, man. So once again, it's true. No one is ready for Asuka. <laughs> I thought you were going the other way with it. I was about to have an actual fight with you. <laughs> you were just going for the Asuka line. Thank God. Yes. Whew. No, I. It's Asuka, is, first of all, we. Cut to the chase about Asuka. The same thing it should have been Goldberg. Yes. Just like Nyla Rose should have been Goldberg in AEW. And I don't mean to compare. Should have been Nyla Rose and Asuka were the same unstoppable goddamn force. And they had a weird loss that was written in for some goddamn reason that I. I've been told that AEW is still better with the woman and the, and the representation of any, any anything other than not white and straight. And I'll take your word for it. Because I see more of it, still stupid what they did with Nyla Rose. There's, it's unforgivable, and I will never let the, the, the live it down, Mm-mm. ever. <laughs> when we talk about the company being around in 20 years or being bought by Vince in 20 years or whoever's in charge, Universal, whoever buys WWE, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring up, I mean, yeah, you know what I mean. Whoever owns WWE. Yeah, yeah, whoever owns WWE. We're going to be talking about. Nyla Rose not running through everybody on the roster, male or female, but at, at the very least, the women's division, period. Yes. But, same thing with Asuka. At least she's getting this unbeaten streak as far as the championship goes because of hormones and fertility. And fertility. But at least she's getting it because it's still stupid that she never got it. However... And, again, let me preface. I, I have nothing to say, even if I cared that she was pregnant. Not my place. I just want to be clear that I'm very happy for her. I have nothing against yeah, – our issues don't lie with Lacey, is what we're trying no. to say. Yeah. That They're writing it this way. And here's another thing that I think is – there's another layer that's going to be added to this where I think that Lacey's actually related to Rick. Uh, oh, yuck. Uh, well – I don't know. A friend told me those porns are pretty cool. It's a friend told me. So anyway, your thoughts on the whole thing? Uh, it, well, the whole thing was it, it was lazy booking to begin with. Um, yes, well, the, the whole flare lazy thing because I don't know how far it's it's going to go. Um, 
with her and, and Charlotte. And if you're going to promote someone over uh, Charlotte, uh, I don't know why it would be her. I, I Somebody sees something in, in Lacey, and obviously, you know, she's got the size. She's got a great look. Uh, she's a decent worker. It's not like she's bad. Um, but this uh, latest attempt to push her, obviously, this is going to go by the wayside, too. And they've got to get somebody out. I don't know why. I, just for the life of me, outside of the lazy booking and the stupid writing, uh, and and before we knew she was legitimately pregnant, you know, every wrestling fan or sports entertainment fan I know were, were upset that oh my god they're doing a pregnancy angle and Ric Flair is the daddy. Oh man, how you know how we're supposed to? And it would made it was Flair trending worldwide because oh my god, did something happened to Rick? It's like oh no, Rick's a daddy of Lacey having baby. It's like oh man. I don't mean this in a – it was one of those ones where like, ah, I kind of wish she was dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take I'll, – I'll say goodbye to the, the nature boy, like, in a, in a real way more than I want to see him – I don't want to see him buried, but oh, I'll see no, him buried. You know what I mean. Yes. Oh, oh yes. he's not dead. Oh, shit. No. He's, he's just buried in bad booking. I just don't, uh, don't want to see him buried. I want to see – Yes, Spectre, yes, it is a shoot pregnancy. Lacey Evans is going to have a baby. Yes, Lacey Evans is... And I'm very is, happy. Congratulations, exactly. Lacey. Congratulations okay. to Lacey and whoever the baby daddy is. Obviously, it goes smoothly and there's no, you know... No. Uh, hope it, hope it goes well. Even if this was a a, a written-in story, a pregnancy storyline, which always works out great in the yeah. professional wrestling, <laughs> it's never gone bad. I don't have uh, nitro PTSD when there was like six of them that just aborted, no pun intended. Yeah. Or the the ECW Buell and McGillicuddy saga, but anyway. Oh, what you, um, but it was a cool moment. It, it was a great moment. Um, it's not, what do you care? It's not yours. Leave it alone. It's not yours either. My favorite of that, that storyline <laughs> was Stevie jumping up and down saying, I'm going to be an uncle. I'm going to be an uncle. <laughs> just, just getting the shit weed out of him by Raven. Yeah. It's not his either. And then, Tommy's. And then, but Tommy's. <laughs> yeah, Joel. Goodhart really sold that, but the fun part was when she said, it's not yours, and then when he attacked Steve, look at the crowd, everyone's pointing out, it's me, it's me, yeah, yeah, it's, it's me. me. Shit, Steve, G. Inspector, Stevie Richards stole the show and everything he did. Yes, he, he did. did uh, yeah, yes, he did. I'll leave it at that. Yes, he did. And I have a personal thing. And, and Stevie, uh, he worked for my cousin John at his uh, auto dealership when he worked for uh, ECW. So oh, nice. I got to, yeah, he was a, he was a great guy. Uh, but that's on a personal level. Uh, but even uh, back to like, if even if this was a a storyline pregnancy, and as stupid as it was, as stupid as none of this is Lacey Evans' fault. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, there's no. That's why there's no animosity or any heat towards Lacey. He had nothing to do with that. Not even you can't even blame Flair. He didn't. He didn't ask for it either. Well, I mean, um, he could go home. Yes, he, he could, could always, just say I'm retired. Yes, and not risk traveling while there's a pandemic on and being so uh, much seasoned and with health issues anyway. Exposed to all yeah. of that. So kind of like the Flyers. <laughs> it's kind of like what the NHL did with. Uh, the NHL as a whole and the Flyers did with Oscar Lindblom was like, look, he got better. He doesn't have cancer anymore. He is now exposed to COVID. Oh, he has it. Oh, yeah. Well, great. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we, uh, as 
great as it is for Lacey Evans, uh, the woman, uh, she's going to be off TV for um, till the end of the year, and we probably won't see her again till 2022. So, on yet another reason, or another excuse, I don't know why it has to be an excuse, but a reason to put Rhea Ripley in your top spot where she should have been the whole time, at least at least a year ago. I never understood why she had such a great uh, WrestleMania with uh, Charlotte, and you could have built on that going forward. Even giving her the win wouldn't hurt Charlotte at all. And Rhea Ripley, to me, and this is my opinion, she's your she's your female rock. If there's ever going to be another rock for females who's got everything, uh, the look, the the work, uh, the image, the the, uh, the the mic skills, she's there your – Exactly. Jesus should be – if you're going to push anyone past Charlotte, why Lacey Evans and not Rhea Ripley, I have no idea. And, again, and again, nothing gets Lacey Evans. It's been done before to her, her push. I mean, a big push for her. Yeah, and, I, and, and you're absolutely work. right. So. Uh, more WWE Raw news. Well, SmackDown just tears through. Things. By the way, I just want to say, because I haven't mentioned enough, Heel Bailey is one of my favorite things in the world. Yes. She's not taking it seriously, but she is diabolical at the same time, and she's a she's kind of like Seth Rollins, where she's mm-hmm. also a chicken shit when she needs to be. Yes, and I love Ding Dong. The heel Bailey is where yeah. the only my again, and this is not even a shot at the writers either. The only thing missing for heel Bailey, the crowd. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but really, I wouldn't say devastating, but, you know, it's devastating storyline-wise, and I hope it goes o- o- okay and just goes swiftly. Uh, MVP. Yes. Is going to be out for I, I uh, undetermined amount of time. The right camp of mixed and evil, by the way, from Jim Spector. I, I agree 100% about Bailey. Sorry. I yeah. keep forgetting to read the chat, and I go back to the window. I'm like, oh, look, She's, she's a classic heel. Yeah. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, but MVP uh, apparently wrestled uh, the six-man tag last Monday on one good knee. <laughs> and um, he's going to be out for a while. Uh, all, I, all I know is we don't know uh, the extent of the injury. What we do know is that he went to Dr. Andrews in um, Birmingham. Get his leg looked at. Yeah, World famous. Uh, if anybody had knee or back spinal surgery, it was this dude. Yeah, or his team, but um, I don't think a lot of this gets lost because there's a pandemic and the TV doesn't look the same, and you get all the critique and criticism with that because there's no crowd and the Thunderdome thing still looks stupid to me. And it does. I okay, that's fine, but MVP and the Hurt Business have been they're they're the best heel squad in professional wrestling. Period. Yeah, and they and they have been since they've been. They've been together, and what makes it such so great is not only with them, with that collective, what MVP has done, giving them all, giving Shelton and Lashley, and we talked about this before the show. Uh, MVP, Shelton Benjamin, and Bobby Lashley are all in their late forties, and they're still having great matches, and they're the, again, they're the best heel team in the business. With bringing in Cedric Alexander was 
a godsend for Cedric Alexander because with a guy with that that amount of talent and what we can see here as a, a, a natural heel for him has uh, been doing yeoman-like work. My problem was why MVP had to even be in the ring in the first place because you with those three, with Lashley, Sheldon, and Cedric doing it, there's no need for him to be a six-man. You think uh, maybe he wanted to? And I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I yeah, and, that's my, and that was my thing, Dan. Um, Good for as him. Much as, as much as I hated him being in the, in the ring because of his susceptibility to injury, and he had a history of knee problems, and when you're and when you're 45, uh, or with, that was his was that was that his age that we said before? Uh, was it 47? 47. I probably yeah. yeah. Benjamin was uh, 44. Um, that it, you're running a risk of anything. He had a history of knee problems when he was last with the WWE 15 years ago. So um, you're playing with fire. But, again, the reason he came back in the first place last year for Royal Rumble because he still wanted to do it. And his whole time off, he was still wrestling independent any place he could. And, you know, Dan, there's no retirement for professional wrestlers. There's no old age home. There's no re- retirement plan. Um, you do it till you can't do it anymore. Uh, but the thing is, you do it till you can't do it anymore. With a professional wrestler, it's never that they don't want to do it anymore. So that I, I can't as sucks as much as it sucks to see MVP out. Um, obviously, he was his choice to want to get back in the ring, and why wouldn't you? But I just wanted to take a time to appreciate how good they were. Uh, how good they were? They're not going anywhere. How good God they are? Their soul. Yeah, God rest their soul. They're all dead. Uh, everybody's dying this week. Uh, no, but how good they are. Um, example, GM Spectre just said in the chat a couple minutes ago, Bobby Lashley has such a better presence with Hurt Business. I know it's cliche in wrestling after hundreds of years of this, hundred years of this cycle, but you take a couple guys who are probably, probably together or apart have more talent than a lot of guys that are guys or girls that are, at, uh, on TV consistently every week and have a storyline that for whatever reason don't have a storyline <laughs> for TV. Yeah. I winked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get them with a guy like MVP and it changes everything. Yeah. And I said when he came back, I said MVP is still better on the mic than a lot of people in that in that show right now. Oh, in, either, in either company, yes. Yeah. Um. He'll be one of the greatest Mike guys. He's a great wrestler, too. Yeah. But as you said, wrestle, uh, injuries. Is, mm-hmm. um, but just that – I've seen El- Cedric Alexander wrestle in front of 100 people, mm-hmm. 300 people at a gym or a um, uh, JCC, you know, yeah. venue mm-hmm. and wrestle a match with um, – well, he's now Swerve in NXT, Shane Strickland. Yeah. Uh, or Two Cold Scorpio. Mm-hmm. And have a better match than anything you see on TV. Yeah. For years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll still never forget the look on his face when I, I – I didn't bother wrestlers unless they came to me to talk to me. I just right. stayed out of the way because it's not – I was never about that. Yeah. Uh, but there one time that I stopped somebody. It was Cedric, who was walking by me at the time, and he'd already wrestled. It was just at the beginning of intermission, and I probably wasn't going to see him again the rest of the night. 
And I'll never forget the look on his face when I asked, because the rumor was out. It was during the, the Cruiserweight Classic where right. it was all over that he got signed yeah. and it hadn't aired yet. Mm-hmm. And where it had just aired, it, where it finally aired. I don't remember the timeline when I saw him after or before that match. Mm-hmm. The look in his face when I said, so, how you feel? <laughs> and, again, I never knew him personally, but I know he was well-liked. He was nice to everybody, and he's mm-hmm. a tremendous athlete, a tremendous wrestler. Mm-hmm. So to see that look in his face, to see somebody that good yeah, making it makes me happy. Yeah. Um, and then, for obvious reasons, he didn't have a storyline and was put down on 205 Live. Now, I'm not saying that 205 Live is the uh, – 205 Live sometimes has better – most of the time has better matches than the Monday show. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like the it's like the Cruiserweights, WCW, on Monday Night Wars again. While you got guys that we like and we know either, you know – powering through or going through half-tired because they don't care, these guys are coming in at the beginning of the show or the middle of the show and stealing the whole damn show yeah. every time. Until Vince Russo added the piano on the pole match, and we know how that went. Which we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so to see MVP, that old cliche of taking guys that we had nothing for, mm-hmm. and kind of forcing the hand because people were on the internet were like, or people that were on the internet, which is the viewers, so that people who were watching were going, that, I want more of that. Right. Right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting that. I really am nervous. God, I don't want Bobby Lashley alone again. Yeah, uh, no, and I don't think he will. And I heard, uh, well, didn't hear, uh, the rumors out there and there happens in wrestling biz with MVP on the shelf potentially, and he could still obviously still uh, appear at ringside with uh, the Hurt Business. Uh, Shelton and Cedric are still the United, are still the World Tag Team Champions. Bobby is still the United States Heavyweight Champion. But to fill that void, um, speaking of people that there's they don't have anything for, uh, a name I heard mentioned was Keith Lee. Nothing would make me happier. Now, the 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 downside of that, and there's no downside to Keith Lee being in the Hurt Business. No. But with MVP out for a significant amount of time, there is no mouthpiece. What made the Hurt Business the Hurt Business in the first place was MVP. Because as great as Bobby Lashley is, as great as Keith Lee is, as great as Cedric Alexander is, and as the, the greatest probable athlete in the history of the WWE, Shelton Benjamin, is none of those guys are great on the mic. Nope. And they get themselves over in the ring. They cannot get themselves over on the stick. And that's not a knock on any of those guys. Mm -mm. That's just how what MVP did for those guys is what made the Hurt Business the Hurt Business. So that's my two cents about the, the void that MVP will leave and uh, and adding a Keith Lee to that group, just an I, just an idea. Keith Lee is again so goddamn good. Yeah. Same story with Cedric. Mm-hmm. 
But Keith Lee, as good as he is and as good as he was coming up from NXT, is falling victim to the NXT curse as, man, this guy was lighting it up and can't wait for him to get up on the big leagues and on the big show. And here he is. And there he goes. Do you ever look at the resumes that go up online from WWE about writers and see if you fill it out and get in there? (laughs) I thought about it last time. Yeah. But then it looks like it must have a – I'm like, oh, it must have a – yeah, you, well, for some, you must be an experienced television writer for comedy, apparently. Uh, you must have a background in TV uh, production or in script writing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't remember wrestlers or wrestling needing scripts or script writing or people who had experience in writing sitcoms to do a wrestling show. Like Freddie Prinze. <laughs> Thank you, Patrice O'Neill. Thank you, Freddie Prince. Thank did Patrice O'Neill write for a while? Patrice O'Neill wrote for the WWE, as did Ralph Funches, who Foxy Fox thinks that you're better than Yeah, well, yeah. Um, uh, but Ralph Funches knows wrestling. Yes, he does. Um, he didn't, he didn't know Patrice O'Neill was a fan. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he was either. I do know he was an experienced comedy writer, and that's why he got a job with the WWE. Do we, uh, listen, I'm not going to say anything about what he wrote or if he wrote or anything good or anything bad because uh, he's no longer with us, and Patrice O'Neill was awesome either way. Yes, he was. You know my funniest – one of my funny, and I've watched a lot of his stand-up. I'm sure there's a show here or there I've missed, but – Mm-hmm. It's not something he said. It's something that he did or was a part of that is one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen. I mean, he is part of it. The, hater, the player haters ball, the Chappelle yes. Joe sketch. Mm-hmm. The sketch that airs is hilarious. So he's part of that, <laughs> and he's great in it. Everybody is, except Rich Foss. Not sure why he's there. Then he was a friend. He's in one shot. Get him out of there. Yeah. But it's great sketch. And I used that <laughs> – I paraphrase for obvious reasons the line that <laughs> I see said about next that says something's getting shot. Please be that. <laughs> I love that's such a good line, and his delivery is it's the and then he delivers the line. But the best part of that. Is it's an outtake, and I beg you to look at it. It's an outtake, and it's just comedians trading. It's just comedians trading barbs. Yeah. And it's Patrice, and unfortunately, Chappelle gets the message. Patrice on this one, but he, you know how Chappelle's character has got his girls arm in arm, and they're all wearing yeah. different colors. And Patrice O'Neill's character, as he starts walking away, <laughs> I gotta go change Buck Nasty's mother's dish, and he goes to leave, and Patrice goes. Your girls look like you got them out of Skittles box. And, and Dave Spell replies, yes, I'd say something about your bitches, but it looked like you ate them. Good day, gentlemen. <laughs> and Patrice, by the end of the tape, because he can't hold it any longer, just drops to the floor. <laughs> it's one of the funniest uh, It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He learned through Patrice O'Neill through Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Yeah, a lot of, the, a lot of those guys um, – Came yeah. up through Chappelle and um, Tough Crowd that was airing. It was all airing at the same time, and they were all working together at one point. Yeah. And uh, they all helped each other out, and they all they all stuck by each other. Patrice O'Neill is a soul sorely missed these days. Ugh. Um, 
Hey, Jay, what's going on? Thanks for joining the show, man. And uh, DJ, I see you in there. Hello as well. Um, new camera. So, the uh, New Japan. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm just going to say it right now, I think what AEW Impact New Japan is doing is fantastic. Okay. It's going to lead to some great matches, and I hope that's going to lead to some great matches that crowds can be in the attendance to see. Because that working relationship is something that was sorely missed. And I know they, New Japan has worked with uh, companies ever since that infamous Nitro in 1999. Yeah. Where Vince Russo decided that the New Japan, uh, the, the IWGP Championship, excuse me, I almost named it the thing it wasn't. <laughs> Whoops was uh, taken off of Jushin Thunder Liger in a pinata on a pole match after he got hit in the head with a bottle of tequila. This is not me. This is something that actually happened on TV. I can't imagine why Nitro was suffering so bad. And that forever was a beginning thing that really damaged the working relationship with New Japan and American wrestling. Now, there have been a lot of guys, Goldberg, Brock Lesnar. Uh, I forget Goldberg had a New Japan run for a little while. Uh, Hulk Hogan went to New Japan in the 90s? Yeah, he was one of the first. He had a great match with Muda. Yeah, I mean, the, the longest running clothesline in professional wrestling. <laughs> but history. it's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. If you it throw is, a dead cat to steal a line from Kelly, you throw a dead cat at Great Muda, you have a great match with it. Yeah. Uh, AJ Styles also. AJ Styles, uh, half of the, 90% of the book club. Uh, that's where Kenny came from. He got famous there. Uh, uh, the... Um, the club, Carl Anderson and uh, Luke Gallows. Yeah. To see this relationship actually flesh out into a mini feud slash, Kenta, Kenta came back. It was a great moment, and I hope he he doesn't get the injury bug. Uh, I, I blame both sides for Kenta's kind of in uh, – I know I'm calling him Kenta. Forgive me. Okay. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's PG. Maybe you sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 510, is declaring an emergency? There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Abushi. Abushi. Um, it was a great return. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do with these three companies because you got to – and I'm ignoring social media because it's all about uh, piss-poor ratings on Wednesday night and who did it better. Who did better under a million? <laughs> um, it's fun to see. Uh, the the matchups you're going to have is going to be insane. So, uh, And as much as I have my things against uh, uh, Impact, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. it's still going to be fun to see the matchups. I love how it's not straight up AEW versus New Japan. It's a lot of different factors. Yeah, they're throwing in the... The whole smorgasbord. Listen, it's going to be fun to watch. I Is it going to make a dent? I don't think ratings wars are a thing anymore. Got if it. you want to get down to it, I think ratings 
Not that they won't matter. Like, I'm sure if you go below a certain point, TNT is going to go AW. Mm-hmm. Come on. But if Raw's ratings are just above a million, who the fuck cares? <laughs> okay, like, even when you're comparing numbers to people, I, what I love about the rating discussion is people hold them up to Monday Night Wars numbers, right? Yeah. And but they ignore the numbers that happened in the 80s, which sh- shadowed in great detail, in great lengths, mm-hmm. shadowed the Monday Night War ratings. Yes. And I know they're, the combined numbers are different than – I get it. But, mm-hmm. again, every time I see uh, uh, Brian Alvarez's tweets about ratings every week, it treat, treat in my timeline, I just laugh. I giggle. Yeah. Uh, especially when you consider the ratings that – uh, TBS had on Saturday mornings um, throughout yeah. the 80s that would dwarf any network show today or even the ratings that WMC-TV did in Memphis, Tennessee again, Saturday morning with Lance Russell and uh, Dave um, whose name is Gaping, and, um and with Jerry Lawler their, rate, yeah, their ratings um you had uh, 90 or sorry, 87% of Tennessee, the state of Tennessee watching on uh, Saturday mornings. Yeah, so um, I'm back. And I, I didn't even know about that. Those numbers didn't get the, I, I saw, I knew the numbers. I could re- recite them to you verbatim back when they were happening. But that was before wrestling returned to network TV and to national cable TV in prime time when ratings really started to matter. And even then, as great as, you know, we would see the, the, the Monday Night Wars every week and you see Nitro and Raw, every, who had the better ratings in the 84 weeks in a row, whatever. But even that, those ratings were peanuts compared to what TBS was doing, again, on Saturday mornings. What World Class was doing That's in about Dallas. to bring up World Class. Like, yes. what did they air? When did that show even, wasn't it, it wasn't live, because they would, they no. would have, like, Wednesday and Friday night wrestling, and then air it, what, like, next Saturday or something? Except, but know. it was the first uh, show to be syndicated on uh, World Class was, because uh, TBS was only on basic cable. If you got basic cable, you got TBS. But as far as syndicated shows, they on your any UHF station, you can get world class wrestling. So it was seen from Dallas, Texas, when it went to to Florida and Philadelphia and Maine, and next that you know on ESPN later after that was later. Okay, yeah, this is like late '80s, early '90s. Got that we don't want to talk about. No, <laughs> the the ESPN on a world class on ESPN, but the fact that it was still a viable company. Uh, and that was the, all due to the fallout from Vince buying TBS. That was all a, rip, a ripple effect because once uh, Vince – because the ratings for the WWF on Georgia Championship Wrestling went south immediately. And the um, TBS, Dan, got more phone calls in the history of TBS. There were more phone calls asking for Gordon Soley to come back than ever in the history of the Atlanta Superstation. They got more phone calls for Gordon Sully than they did when they had the Olympics, They didn't when they did when Deion Sanders played for them, when he was playing for the Braves and the Falcons. 
there was more phone calls to the Atlanta Superstation switchboard at WTBS asking for the return of Gordon Soley when Vince McMahon took over than at any time in the history of the Superstation. And during that time to fill that void, Bill Watts got a got a national TV uh, syndicated show, Power Pro Wrestling and Mid-South Wrestling, and Fritz got uh, a contract for ESPN, and even Vern Gagne got the AWA on the ESPN. And next thing you know, Southwest Wrestling, Joe Blanchard got uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling on USA Network. That was where Tully Blanchard first appeared on national TV, he and Gina Hernandez. You know who was all over TV those days? Roddy Roddy Piper. He was indeed. I just wanted to shout him out because uh, Jay just uh, redeemed with his points a highlighted message, which is a nice reference. It's always sunny. The maniac loves you. <laughs> we want you to be this. Um, the maniac. I'm the maniac. I can't even do the face he makes. <laughs> Body was Jay. Mister Roderick Toombs was legitimately nuts. Yeah. Roddy Piper was out of his mind. Yeah. It's just a guy that I wouldn't pick a fight with. No. Uh, and he, he was a guy that a lot of people tried to pick a fight <laughs> with and unsuccessful. Um, Except unless you're Kevin Nash, allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, but but Roddy was a guy that – and I have to remind folks – well, I don't try to remind folks, but everyone that loves Roddy from his first run at WWF in 1984 – that put him on the map, but Roddy Piper was a national television star before he even got to the WWF uh, because he was not only on one cable show, he was on two cable shows. He, right. was on the, he was the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion while appearing on Georgia Championship Wrestling as a commentator alongside Gordon Foley. Uh, and you don't get that just by being anyone. No. No, and, you uh, don't. <laughs> and, and, and Roddy Piper as a heel was so was so over as a heel that uh, when he got stabbed in a Richmond, Virginia restaurant, a uh, guy came at him with a knife, you know, while he's eating dinner uh, in his chest. Yeah. To the point where he had to go to uh, Sandy Scott and say, Sandy, you got to turn me face, man. And they ran a story, um, which, thank God, there was no internet back. I mean, the story where, where he, in the newspaper where he got slashed with a knife made the uh, the news. But for wrestling fans, they had the story that this drunk man, which he was, was threatening this little girl in the dark alley, and Piper got in the way and saved the little girl, and he got a slash across the chest for his troubles. So, um, but that's what uh, – and, that, and I ate it up because that's what ran in the After Magazine. That's what ran in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. When he came back on with Gordon Soley, he, they switched him face. But um, that was, the Piper was like – yeah, I got an idea. <laughs> yes. First of all, I don't want I don't I don't want to lose my life. And, and not just that, but I mean, he was run off the road by other fans, and you know, car set on fire. I I'll never the <laughs> I can't say the word. Although I don't care uh, what he calls Bruno in Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> it's still, <laughs> like it's because like. Harley Race at Ron Simmons is a bit more serious because of the connotation of, you know, slavery. Yeah. But seeing Roddy Piper <laughs> call Bruno a... Yeah. <laughs> and you see the look where 
Roddy was obviously he was playing it up because he yeah. knew Bruno was going to go after. Him. But there's kind of this right before he gets out of the ring. Uh oh. <laughs> and he he did the same promo again at Madison Square Garden, and they were maybe it was just Madison Square, dude. It was Madison. Yeah, it was I think Madison it was Madison Square, Square that it wasn't yeah. Newark. Okay, yeah, it was Madison yeah, yeah. Square Garden. Oh man, because <laughs> <laughs> Bruno could have killed him, man. Oh, yes, yes. There wasn't a lot of guys that could probably take out Piper. Well, I'll put a little bit of money on Bruno on that. Oh one. yeah, I put Bruno against anybody, <laughs> even even Harley. You just yeah. So. Oh, Harley and Bruno though, I'd pay to watch it. Wasn't Harley the one that carried a gun backstage all the time? Yes. Yeah. For mm-hmm. that reason, <laughs> I gotta fight you. <laughs> I mean, Harley could kick your anyone's ass and everyone sure. ever went to ass in the first place, but he was just a guy that you know. Oh man, I used to like using Roddy Piper in um in the WCW NWO Revenge during the Rumbles Mm -hmm. because you just do the (laughs) yeah just punch and just knock people over the ropes. Like he was like he was a pitcher winding up. Yes, exactly. Ah, I'm gonna turn that on after we're done this. Okay. Uh, With that being said, the last thing I wanted to cover because I just thought it was funny. I don't know if we want to get a serious discussion, but um. Speaking of AEW, the <coughs> Matt Hardy and Adam Page are going to face each other at uh, Evolution, uh, Revolution, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And if Hagman wins, he's going to get 100% of what Matt earned in quarter one of 2021. If Matt wins, it's the reverse. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Can't you just uh, put a number up? Or say if you win, you I get your contract. But you're turning Matt Hardy into Michael Wall Street now. He's all about oh. the first quarter earnings. And Hold on, let's not get hasty here. <laughs> but I mean, how often has the uh, financial planner wrestler uh, character ever worked? I mean, one time and, barely. Yeah, one time barely. And and that was all Mike Rotondo. Uh, yes, but yes, it is. But, he, could, he could make Wall Street work, but he made know, IRS work. He, made IRS he put work. that extra connotation on it, and yes. it was like, ooh, the son of a bitch! Yes, and all you tax sheets out there. And out of all the wrestlers that have ever wrestled with their clothes on, it's it's Mike Rotunda, big boss man, that's it. But, uh... Yeah, I don't count Sting with his shirt on. But, I mean, clothes. I mean, a tie, a suit. Oh, I was going to say, Sting, you're in better yeah. shape than most dudes yeah. your age. Take no, Mike, Mike Rotundo, one of the greatest amateur wrestlers in, in this country. In, it didn't uh, really matter in, how in he looked. Sports. Yeah, <laughs> but wrestling with suspenders and a tie. You know, it's hard to do. Was, you try it. Yeah. Always ask, I always feel bad to those guys that wear, the guys or girls that wear jeans mm-hmm. to wrestle, and if any, they land on any of those buttons. Ouch. Ah. Yeah, but uh, but uh, and the thing is, um, this is Matt Hardy's what fifth different character since he's been in AEW. Oh, hold on, Jim Spector just mentioned Mr. Hughes. Oh, okay, we're in close. Yeah, well, a, a big a big boss man knockoff, but yeah, uh, sure. So, yeah, I think the twist was limo driver. You know, chauffeur, bouncer, chauffeur. Why gotta be a certain God? You always gotta yeah. uh, come on, Vince. That's God damn it! it. Yeah, uh, I am smooth. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, uh, tug before he was tugboat, he was big steel man, which was another big boss man. Oh, I remember that. 
Big Josh, but that wasn't like a suit and tie. No, but it was flannels and jeans. Oh, man. But, yeah. Yeah, not everyone can pull off wrestling with wrestling and clothing, actual clothes. Welcome, gentlemen and ladies, to another uh, historic edition of HIAC Talk Radio. (laughs) See what I did? Because, see, as you can tell by our, our seamless CGI here, we are in black and white because we are going back in time. Back when the titles were called belts, back when the medical facilities were actually called hospitals, back when there was wrestling in all 50 states where you could sit next to each other crammed in, their, in it, coliseums, basketball arenas, gymnasiums, high school gymnasiums, and uh, sports arenas next to each other without any social distancing whatsoever. This, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. Just real quick, the reason why I'll be wearing masks well after the vaccine is because I've been at some of these wrestling shows with y'all. Yeah. And the mask really sh- is more of a... Uh, it's a more me thing than you, trust me. Yeah, it's, it's not a... Uh, it's just, you know, I, yeah, I will continue to wear a mask anyway. I'll, I wear it on the bus. I, I I'll also burn it. all my clothes when I get home. <laughs> a lot of you exposed yourself when this pandemic started. Just yeah. saying. Just saying, and you don't want us exposing ourselves. <laughs> very good. Rick Moranis, Ghostbusters. Thank yes, Ghostbusters too. Ah, I remember. Yes, that, <laughs> that blue thing I got from that her. blue thing I got. <laughs> <laughs> judicial restraint order. That blue thing I got, I got from, her. from her. We could be exposing ourselves, and you don't want us exposing ourselves. Your next bubbles. Uh. I was from Ghostbusters too, and this week in Wrestling Historian, we're gonna—it's a week of uh, debuts, historical debuts, which I will touch upon uh, lightly as uh, we go along, as we tread merrily along. Uh, for instance, February twelfth in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, at a WWF TV taping, and more debuts have taken place in Poughkeepsie, New York, at WWF TV tapings than I care to shake a shake a stick at that I've mentioned on Pat on previous episodes of Wrestling Historian, but this particular uh, TV taping in Poughkeepsie, New York in 1985 featured the uh, WWF debut of uh, Jim Neidhart uh, and uh, his brand new manager making his WWF debut all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Jimmy Hart made his first appearance. Star of the Gentries. Star of the Gentries, yes, from the the only WWF manager and the only WWF superstar who has a gold record. Uh, legitimate. Legitimate gold record with the Gentries. I Keep On Dancing was a uh, half a million seller. And uh, he was part of and also wrote many of the theme songs that the WWF had on the uh, Pile Driver album. So the amazing thing about Jimmy Hart that we, we were talking about, Kelly and I will always talk about Jimmy Hart because – not only was he writing original songs, but he was real good at ripping off popular songs and changing it just enough where they wouldn't get sued and they'd make money off it. Yeah. He put publishing on that shit. <laughs> so this is a guy who was in a legit group. Yes. And made money and toured with them and then went to the WWF and not only was a manager, but was writing those songs. And was was in the gentries when he uh, started – managing in Memphis, you know, because he caught the eye of, of Jerry Lawler. 
and because Jerry Lawler was heavily into into music, he couldn't play, but he loved the uh, the songs, and you know, and Jerry would be the first wrestler to use uh, entrance music uh, as a regular thing. But uh, he he and Jimmy were uh, had been clo- have been close ever since. But Jimmy Hart could have had very easily had a music career, but his love of wrestling. Um, he made so much money on publishing. I don't think it matters. Now. Yeah. But Jimmy Hart was one of the uh, what made him a wrestling fan back then, and what made him want to get into that uh, into the world of professional wrestling on a full time basis was someone that I mentioned on this very podcast, and that was Spudgy Monroe. He was a huge fan of Spudgy Monroe, nice. very like nice. every other kid who grew up in Memphis during that time. But uh, yeah, February 12, nineteen eighty five, the WWF debut of Jimmy Hart. Uh, Court uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, the first time the WWF have ever, has ever had a pay-per-view on this particular holiday, uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre at the Pyramid in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, uh, back to Jimmy Hart. But uh, the main event was the uh, steel cage match between Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, won by Steve Austin, uh, un- un- unaware uh, of how he won uh, because of the uh, man that Vince McMahon hired to take Austin out. But when he did, he threw Austin at the cage, and the cage broke, and Austin went out first, and hence he won. The man who threw him through the cage uh, was known as the Giant, but since the WWF hadn't procured a name for him, they called him the debuting Paul White. So. Valentine's Day 1999 was the WWF debut of the big show. You know, it occurred to me the other day, because I think, like, I, is he involved with that big show show or whatever it's called? Yeah, that was that was his show. Okay. On, on Netflix, yes. On the big show show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not on, not to be confused with the TNT That's show. what I was confusing with. His no. name came up because of that show, okay. the TNT show. No, the TNT show was the uh, Go Big show. Good, I can carry him less. Uh, and, it, so, and, it's, and it's a go, and, and that is Go Big or Go Home. It was too long, so they just called it go, the Go Big show. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But anyway, his name came up because of it, and it was just—I was just thinking, like, I don't. It's one of those wrestlers that he—he he was such a name when he was the Giant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But nobody calls him that anymore. It's no. not like I, me calling Ibushi Kenta, mm-hmm. right? He's Big Show. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it now. But, like, his – what is he? Wasn't he the youngest world champion in wrestling history? And, Dan, if you want to be – get with it, no no knock on Goldberg, but he was the first undefeated wrestler to win the championship. He absolutely was. Yeah. He absolutely was. Because he also did it quicker than Goldberg. Goldberg's yeah. real numbers were – I love that they <laughs> – they did that documentary on Goldberg Street, and they were like, real numbers. I'm like, uh, eh, all right, sure. I, I, I know count days. Yeah, I know his numbers would go up by 10 matches a week, even though there were no house shows. 75 and oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and next week he's 86 and 0. It's like, uh, there weren't any house shows this week. I don't know where that number came from. But what I appreciate about Paul White, other than Big Show being relevant as long as he was, Mm-hmm. And I know he's the butt of the, you know, turning heel joke. Yeah. Like, oh, he's going to turn heel again. Uh, and who's going to tell him no? He's bigger than everybody. Yeah. You know, it's like telling Andre no. no. 
Okay. Well, at, um, least they, at least they dropped the son of Andre gimmick, though. Well, that's the thing. I remember that when he hopped into the ring. Look at the size of him. He looks just like him. Or, he when, he, or when he he threw a, uh, Hogan the shirt that Andre supposedly wore in the Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I I appreciate about him, he survived so many bad ideas. Yeah, like dropping off the roof of Cobo Hall. Yeah. During Halloween Havoc '95, and well, being uh, butt humped by the Yeti, yeah, the same well, night. That's one night, folks. Yeah, and it carried over to WWE when he was dragged on his father's coffin by uh, Big Boss Man when he was uh, Shokishi, and when he was uh, well. <laughs> I remember Scott Hall making him mad when he said to him, "Is Andre really your dad?" Come on, man. What are you doing? Yes, Vector. Listen, that big show, uh, uh, Big Boss Man Feud, is a love-hate thing because I really hate it. But some of the stuff he was saying is like, ooh, that's really good. It's really bad, but it's really good. You can't say that. Listen, death is funny. Death is inevitable for everybody. We're all going there. Uh, Laugh. (laughs) Well, you can because – it's like uh, 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 to steal life from the comedian Jim Jeffries. You know why I won't care when I'm dead? Because I'll, I'll be, be fucking, fucking dead. dead. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Fe- February 14th, the uh, debut of uh, the big show. Paul Wasn't White. it the, the big time for a day? Yeah. I remember I can, in my head I see The Rock going, big time, as he's about to address him. Yeah. I'm like, no, let's let's not use Peter Gabriel for that. Blasphemy. Uh, February fifteenth. Uh, big nasty. I don't remember that. the big nasty. Sorry, GM Spectre said uh, I remember the big nasty was used too. I'm like, I have no memory of big nasty. Me neither. Whew, okay, good. Well, yeah, I hard. You know, Paul White is something that you know, obviously. He isn't going to work, but and Giant was already taken, so coming up with something I mean, big. Would it not work? I mean, is, when you're that big, does it matter if they call you, like, Spike? Everybody, it's Spike. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I could tell them, no. But they wanted something uh, that would uh, stick. This is Fluffy Bottom. He's still, he's still all white. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not sorry. We're going to keep on going with this. Um, well, February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day, um, that took place in uh, San Francisco, of all places. Not of all places, but uh, a place where um, the uh, Guerrero family kind of made their name in, uh, in California. It's fitting that on February 15th, 2004, would be the uh, WW. The uh, No Way Out pay-per-view, and one of the best shows, uh, the best matches on that card, because I remember the crowd in San Francisco being really up and then really down, but um, well, the, one of the great matches on that card was uh, Chavo Guerrero winning the Cruiserweight Championship from Rey Mysterio in a continuation of the Guerrero-Mysterio feud, and just like with any Guerrero-Mysterio, the matter if it's Chavo or Eddie, Matches with Rey Mysterio are classic, and that match uh, doesn't get the uh, the amount of praise or attention that it deserves because 
of what else happened on that pay-per-view. But Chavo over Eddie, uh, Chavo over Ray for the Cruiserweight Championship was an incredible match on that night, February 15, 2004. So where Chavo won the Cruiserweight Championship, the main event that night was Brock Lesnar defending his WWF Heavyweight Championship against Eddie Guerrero. And uh, Max had his, uh, his, his mom there, and uh, Chavo Sr. was there. Chavo Sr. actually helped Chavo Jr. win the Cruiserweight Championship earlier in the night. Uh, and uh, brothers Mondo and Hector were in the audience. crowd was insane uh, during his match with Brock Lesnar. Uh, there was even an interference by Goldberg, even though Goldberg had been taken out of the arena earlier in the match and taken out in handcuffs. But I guess he got bail or he made bail or he broke the cuffs and stole the cop car or whatever. But there was Goldberg running back in the ring without even – with no explanation whatsoever, giving a spear to Brock Lesnar. Uh, but that spear didn't even cost Lesnar the match because after the spear and all – both men were down, including the referee. Uh, Eddie went for the belt to hit Brock with it, presumably, throw the belt out and have the referee count. Well, when Eddie went to hit Brock, Brock ducked uh, uh, and nailed Eddie low, and he was setting him up for the uh, F5, and Eddie turned it into a DDT right on to the belt. And with the crowd going nuts, Brock Lesnar out, Eddie climbed the ropes, hit that six-star frog splash, and the referee crawled over and eventually counted to three. And the man on my shirt won his first and only heavyweight championship on February 15th, 2004. Uh, ran into the crowd. Again, crowd was hype. His mom was there. His brothers were there. His nephew, even though Chavo was a heel at the time and said that Eddie wasn't going to win because he's soft and he's an addict. Those were his words. Um, so Chavo was a heel, Eddie was the face, yes, after the Guerreros had split, so Eddie could get his singles push, well, singles push came to fruition, February 15, 2004, one of the most incredible, loudest reactions I've ever seen uh, in a live crowd in San Francisco, Eddie Guerrero defeated Brock Lesnar for the WWE Heavyweight Championship. Jim Spector says, one of my favorite wrestling moments. And let me add to that by saying, you know, this list we always talk about that says wrestlers who were amazing that were never world champions, I am so glad that Eddie's the one name not on it. Yeah. Because of all those people on that list, Mm -hmm. it's real hard not to argue that Eddie was better than every one of them. Oh, yeah. Maybe argue for one or two. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to talk to about it at the lengths that we would talk about if it was his birthday mm-hmm. or the unfortunate day we lost him because I will put yeah. Eddie over any chance I get. But God damn it if that wasn't one of the most deserving title wins. And Shoot and work. Yeah. Ever and, happened. And Dan, I said the exact same thing about another wrestler almost uh, 15 years earlier when Ricky Steamboat won his only world championship. Ricky's the like, other guy I was going to say. I'm so glad he's not on that uh, team. I was <laughs> like, thank God. And I don't care if it was two days or whatever. It's like, yes, this man, if anyone deserved, he deserved at least one world heavyweight championship run. 
it was Ricky Steamboat, and, and Eddie would be on that list, too. I mean, there's a guy named Eddie Guerrero who almost died in a car accident when he was in WCW. Mm-hmm. Came back, and I know he had further addiction issues is why he left the WWE, but when he came back to WCW, he looked he, he looked like he shed one whole Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And this is coming from a fat guy. I'm not fat shaming. I'm a fat guy. I'm saying he looked amazing. This was after the LWO. There's another thing that Eddie made work way better than it should have. Yes. Was just real fighting with Eddie uh, with Eric Bischoff because Bischoff was a dipshit about yeah, it. Exactly. There's not much. Uh, there's there's a few things I'll argue on uh, with with Eric Bischoff. Not a lot. There's a few. Mm-hmm. One of them's Eddie Guerrero, and yeah. the other Vanilla Midgets that Kevin Nash called. Them. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he came back again. I just. He deserved it so much. He I did. don't know what else to say. No. Uh, that was an incredible night. Uh, you know, that culminated, this was the beginning of the, his road to WrestleMania, um, which would be another great night for another time. But uh, him going over, him winning was just a culmination and a, a real uh, thank you from, you know, the business to to Eddie, because someone whose life was, I mean, this is a second-generation superstar who grew up in the business, and and the entire Guerrero family, inc- all incredible performers, and, uh, but none of them as great as Chavo was, the original Chavo classic, and Mondo and Hector were, none of them were Eddie. Even as great as, as Chavo Jr. is, or, or was, uh, None of them had what Eddie had, and for the amount of times that we thought we had lost him, and you know he could have legitimately left us, and when I, he would have been he would have been a safe bet in a Deadpool, in uh, in the early two thousands, or after the his WCW run. Deadpool in ninety nine. Yeah, but uh. The fact that he didn't, the fact that he stuck with it, the fact that he got his family back, the fact that he got his confidence back, and he worked his way up. Yeah, I we talked about on the show me seeing him in ECW arena when he was making his way back. You know, playing in at bingo halls and high school gymnasiums and wrestling in front of twenty to thirty people, um, and in on independent shows against guys like CM Punk or a, a maskless Rey Mysterio. Or wrestling with the Maximo brothers uh, in Ring of Honor, uh, working his way back, even to the point where he, when he regained the Intercontinental title, he even came back to Philly to wrestle his one last match, um, and which with the okay from Vince McMahon, yep. that I got to see him do that a very tearful farewell uh, because Philadelphia, and I'm saying this locally because why having watched his matches with Dean Malenko right here in Philadelphia, that kind of put him on the map. Uh, we is always going to have a special kind of love for Eddie Guerrero, and Eddie always had a special love for Philly, because this was the uh, a place where uh, we we recognized how good he was. We recognized the skills that he had, and especially when he debuted in ECW, it was supposed to be with his best friend uh, Art Bar. They were supposed to come in as a tag team. Los Gringos Locos were the most over tag team in all of professional wrestling in all of North America. They had sold out crowds in the LA Coliseum when no federation was selling out any buildings. 
but Los Gringos Locos were selling out the LA Sports Arena where the Lakers play every month. Okay, so that's what Paul E. was bringing to Philly. Unfortunately, they, we lost Art at 27 months before he was going to debut. Eddie came in as a solo, and the rest is history. But um, the culmination of the Eddie Guerrero story uh, happened this week, and I saw it on several platforms uh, on Instagram and on Twitter about the anniversary of his win, uh, but took place February 15, 2004. Uh, which brings us to today. Um, a couple of debuts happened on this date that were um, very uh, stirring. Uh, 1996, February 17th, right here in Philadelphia in ECW Arena Cyber Slam. Uh, 96, uh, there was a uh, lights out, which was the ECW tradition of uh, introducing somebody new or someone returning. And in this case, the lights went out and lights came back up again. And a guy that was supposed to be in WCW was there in the center of the ring holding up a cane with the crowd going nuts back to the camera. It was the ECW debut of Brian Pillman. My <laughs> was he ever real champion? Because he's on that list. No. Yeah. There you go. It was it was rhetorical. Um, <laughs> I, Booker man, <laughs> dude. He worked so many people. He worked some of the wrestlers with that whole thing. He was working Bischoff. Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing. It's amazing. Pillman was so good. And Pillman, when he debuted for ECW, uh, was still under contract for the WCW, but wanted everyone to think that he uh, had been fired from the company. Well, it worked so well that WCW so fired, fired him, him from, the from the company. I mean, then he just threatened to piss all over it. That yeah, was the best thing. Not only did he come in, everyone's like, yes, but then he insulted everybody. He goes, I'm going to piss on this all. <laughs> And yeah, it was about to whip, and he was escorted away. But but he gave one of the great promos in his career of really great promos because until his injury, uh, we didn't know how good Brian Pillman was on the mic. Uh, uh, you, we saw glimpses of it with uh, his best friend Steve Austin and during the Hollywood Blondes. That was the apex of the uh, Brian Pillman heel persona, even though he's made to be a babyface, but. Um, who that knew? voice, man, that voice yeah. makes him an automatic fuck you heel, man. <laughs> oh. But he had some great lines even when he was a face, when he had to battle Norman the Lunatic, and he said, he's 400 pounds of raw sewage that I have to circumvent to get a victory. And that was like right away. It's like, and he was a face. It's like, he's 400 pounds of raw sewage that I have to circumvent him. That's, that's good. But I remember saying that even then uh, of how good uh, uh, Pillman was or, or could be. But, again, again, amazing natural athlete. Uh, always in my top five drop kicks of all time. No one could get the vertical leak that he had. And, like you said, that the, vo- uh, the voice uh, from 32 throat surgeries. But uh, still, uh, it's what made him uh, him. But, yeah, that was an epic promo, the ECW debut of – 
uh, Brian Pillman. Uh, that wasn't the only debut on this date. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, just real quick, I, because GM Spectre and I, are, I'm having like a conversation. I'm reading the text, but also kind of replying sometimes because uh-huh. I don't want to stop the flow all the time. Just sometimes. Yeah. Um, oh, that. Uh, so I was going to ask. Can you imagine if social media was a thing when that happened? And I guess the inspector was it was. I remember reading the AOL boards back in the day. I don't know. I think if, the AOL boards, I think, is different to a point where it's not a one-on-one conversation you can have on Twitter and right. argue about things. Yeah. AOL boards was kind of like a post and wait. Post mm-hmm. and wait. Yeah. Some pe- people use Twitter as, like, text messaging to yell at each other. So I'm saying – Oh, yeah, no, I remember the AOL boards. I remember staying the hell off those even as a teenager. Um, but can you imagine if Twitter or Facebook was around when that promo got cut? No. They would have been blown. He would have, he would have blown the Internet. He I, would have, uh, uh, there's your there's your Aiden's, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the uh, only debut on this date in wrestling history. Um that was February 17, 1996, but uh, on this date in 2002, uh, another uh, WWE and uh, No Way Out pay-per-view. Oh, no. Uh, you know, the No Way Out pay-per-view in 2004 featured uh, Eddie defeating Brock, but uh, this No Way Out 2002 uh, was the return after 10 years of this fellow. And it was the WWE debut of the NWO. If anybody's going to kill my creation, I'm going to do it. I'm going to inject poison into the WWE. Me and the NWO. You know, (laughs) listen, again... Vince is a terrible person. I know he's a shitty promoter. He's a carny, just like any wrestler promoter. He's a billionaire doing it. I get it. But God damn it, if that wasn't a good promo. Yeah. And and I always bring this up. I wanted the WWO to work at WC, uh, WWF so much. I just – it's weird. Retrospectively, I look back and I remember when I saw the promo, mm-hmm. it was recreated faithfully in SmackDown Shut Your Mouth. That's right, Jim Spector. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, the first time I was working as a dishwasher at a bar. Actually, I was working there and at Burger King. I had two jobs at the time. Wow. I, was just, I was still finishing high school at the time. Okay. And um, as soon as I graduated high school, I got the fuck out of here. But so it's late at night. It's a quiet night. I'm pretty sure it was a snow or ice storm that night because mm-hmm. there's nobody in the bar. So we're all chatting at the bar because there's nobody there. There's nobody yeah. there except for the people running the restaurant, me and four other people. And I didn't ask for to be put on, but SmackDown was running muted on the TV, right? Mm-hmm. So as we're having this conversation, I'm seeing Vince talking. And this is this and SmackDown. Yeah. So so there's a week in it. So it's that SmackDown and then a whole week running into No Way Out because I remember – Ric Flair says, what do you want me to do to stop the NWO coming in here? NWO is going to ruin this place. What can I do to stop it? And this was like, I want all my control of the company back, and I want you out. And Rick, of course, told him to go pound sand. But so I'm watching this on mute, so I don't know what he's saying. All I see out in the corner of my eye is to turn the goddamn chair, and the NWO is written on whiteout. Yeah. 
I, I ran home. I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I skated my ass home down the Lightwood Pike. Break. Ah, yeah. See you later. Uh, give me my money, please, under the table. And I left. <laughs> um, and I really wanted it to work, but I, I retrospectively, I'm like, it's never gonna work. I just have this weird feeling. And then, of course, it was dead as soon as The Rock wrestled Hogan. Um, yeah. But, again, I also think Hogan is a garbage person. Mm-hmm. Separating that, uh, one of my favorite laughs in wrestling was ever was this initial NWO promo, No Way Out. And at the end, they're acting like the good guys. Yeah. No, no, we're not the same NWO. We're a good NWO. We're going to make everything better. And he goes, and God bless <laughs> Miss McMahon. And God bless, oh, no, he says, God bless Ric Flair. And then Hogan goes, and God bless all of you. And most of all, God bless America. <laughs> I was dying laughing the way he said it. Because it was still Hollywood with that sarcastic fucking asshole tang to it. Oh, God. I hated Hulk Hogan with a passion. I hated Red and Yellow Hogan. It's well documented within my family. I fucking hated that dude. I loved every bit of Hollywood. Of course. I loved Heel Hollywood coming out to Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. which is even – it's ironic now he came out to a black man's music for other for obvious reasons. But Hollywood Hogan, I was all over. And that was one of the – I, I never understood that promo. The Vince one or the Hogan one? Oh, I, Hogan, they were being smart asses. Yes. And they were doing it badly on purpose, and it went over wrong. And then he threw in the God bless everybody thing, and I was just dying. Uh, and then I, I just realized, because I was watching, you know, the footage of the debut. You know who takes the worst stunner than Vince McMahon? Who? Austin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Austin took a really bad stunner. From, now, I know he's taking a stunner. Him and the Rock will trade. And yeah. It looks great. Mm-hmm. It never looked bad, but that stunner from Hall just looked terrible. Yeah. He just dropped. <laughs> Well, it should have. It should have. Um, yeah, it should, that that was a moment they could have could have been great. And it just once Vince saw Rock and Hogan in the ring together, how do you avoid that? How how do you not, as Vince, go? Uh, no, that's instead. Yeah, you can't. No. No, and I I think that was more of a, uh, an ego and lost in all that was it was this was Hogan's. Again, Hogan's return and hadn't been there in ten years. Ten years, yeah, long time. Him coming in by himself, I don't think would have had the same impact. Would have, it might have had a bigger impact. But the fact it's coming in with Hall and Nash, uh, absolutely, uh, is what made it. But I think Hogan, what helped was the way he went out in WCW. Yeah. Which uh, again, I don't like the guy, but that was one of the worst moments. Mm-hmm. At Bash of the Beach 2000. Now, Booker T and Jeff Jarrett stole the goddamn show that – almost stole the year. Had a yeah. great match out of that. Mm-hmm. But it was embarrassing to watch that match, that moment with Hogan, and Jeff lay down. It was embarrassing to see Vince Russo go on a tirade. Like he's one of the boys. He's not. Yeah. It was just embarrassing. So to see that come back, I was all for it. And, of course, we know what happened. Hogan and the Rock, though, I still enjoy watching that match sometimes. Yeah, match. expertly booked by Pat Patterson. Yes. I do get upset. I I was a big fan of, I remember going, I want Scott Hall and Austin. 
for obvious reasons. Yeah. Alcohol being one of them. Without, you know, doing the same run they did with WCW when he was actually battling demons of alcohol and recreating that on Nitro, which was helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just the potentials of that feud, and then, you know, Scott had what happened happen. Right. Uh, That match could have probably – Scott Hall is one of the best workers. People don't talk about Scott enough, in my opinion. Oh, no. As far as worker. They talk about Razor, but Scott Hall could work with his eyes closed. And Steve Austin, even though he was not the worker that he was before Owen Hart almost killed him, Austin was one of the best. Yeah. And those two in a feud in 2002, check that into my veins. And unfortunately, we all know what happened. Yeah. Uh, it was great backstage moments, though, with the NWO and Steve Austin. Um, them, and Scott Hall, of all people, offering Austin a beer. And we just Austin. wanted to offer you this beer. <laughs> so and, and to have Austin, of all people, say, I ain't thirsty. He sucks it behind him. That's yeah. great. I ain't thirsty. And, and they're interacting with The Rock. We get every, almost every week on Botchamania to this day. 20... Two, 21 19, years later? No, no, 19, 19 years 19 later. We yeah. still get that. Big Daddy Cool Diesel. <laughs> oh, man. Good shit. And speaking of The Rock, uh, for uh, Black History Month, I wanted to um, call attention. I don't know how many of you wrestling fans out there saw the debut of Young Rock uh, last night on NBC chronicling the life of Dwayne Johnson from uh, puberty to adultery, as it were. But uh, I don't know who cast this show, but the people they have playing uh, his father, Rocky Johnson, the Samoans, and Junkyard Dogs, and Iron Sheik, and Andre the Giant were spectacular, honestly. The guy it playing good, dude. it looked it they they looked amazing and I and obviously as a wrestling fan I'm marking out because I know who these people are, but they the people that that, that are off in Sika look exactly like them the the guy who's playing his dad Rocky Johnson look exactly That's the like them. The one him. that keeps blowing me blowing my, blowing me. This is the one that keeps blowing my mind is I'll see a still or like footage like I'll see I haven't seen the show yet but I'll see like a promo and it'll blink yeah. by real quick. I'm like is that his fucking dad? What the fuck is going on here? Yeah, and that's why I wanted to who I wanted to focus on in this uh edition of Wrestling Historian on uh, Black History Month on the the father of Dwayne Johnson, uh Rocky Johnson who was uh, what Ernie Ladd was to heels for black wrestlers, Rocky Johnson was to faces at least in the 70s. Obviously, Bobo Brazil set the standard for black wrestling heroes and black wrestling baby faces, but Rocky Johnson took it to a different level that Bobo couldn't because of uh, his look and because of his body and his style. The you know well, Bobo Brazil was a six foot five, just a massive building of a man who got the fans out of their seats just by his comebacks. Rocky Johnson was this flashy, dropkick-throwing, you know, uh, fist-throwing uh, guy that, again, had the the look, movie star looks uh, for a guy like that. And it 
his story would make him even more interesting was that he was born Wade Douglas Bowles in Nova Scotia, a black Canadian named Wade Bowles. But he took the name of his two favorite boxers, Rocky Marciano and Jack Johnson, and he came up with the name Rocky Johnson. And with his athleticism, his speed, and again, black wrestlers, uh, and this is when he started his career in the uh, early, uh, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, um, when he started to blossom, no one looked like that. No one could move like that. No one was built like that. I mean, the muscles were, you know, it looked like he was drawn by Marvel Comics. Uh, but being a babyface uh, in whatever territory he went through uh, was rare. And no matter what territory he wound up in, he was the champion, be it Florida, Georgia, Memphis. Maybe his big break came with with Jerry Lawler um, in the Memphis territory. Jerry put him over in boxing matches uh, where he would lose to Rocky or get knocked out or where he would have the uh, his uh, southern title uh Taken by Rocky or uh, having, or Jerry would screw him out of the title that would make Rocky even more popular. He was just a guy that you couldn't, uh, you could book anywhere, and he could make you a lot of money because the fans are going to come out and cheer him because everyone loved the Soul Man, Rocky Johnson, and he was made for the territories. And we talked about guys, you know, who are going to be world champions or should have been world champions. Rocky Johnson, and I will put in with Ernie Ladd was a guy that could make more money as being a top territory face in multiple territories at the same time than he could uh, as the NWA champion. Not that he wouldn't be a great NWA champion. Uh, he would have been. But uh, the thing about him being NWA champion, he also had to be a heel. No one wanted to boo Rocky Johnson uh, because he was just uh, a great performer. Now, personally, could you boo Rocky Johnson? Uh, because of how he met uh, The Rock's mom and that kind of thing. Uh, he was already married when he met Rock's mom. But By she, Craig, whatever do you mean? <laughs> I mean, and they kind of alluded to it in the uh, premiere episode of Young Rock on NBC, currently available on On Demand or on Hulu. Uh, but uh, Rocky Johnson, uh, warts and all, was a trailblazer in professional wrestling. Uh, for his work in the ring, he and Tony Atlas are worthy first black world tag team champions in professional wrestling history. A mantle that Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander are passing on right now, but it started with Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas, and uh, and should not be forgotten or swept under the rug. So for Black History Month, this month our focus is on Wade Ellis. Uh, Jesus. He said his name, Wade Douglas Bowles, a.k.a. Rocky Johnson. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. And you can follow me uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter by my name, Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. You can follow me on all social media platforms and on Twitter. No, and on Twitch right now <laughs> and on YouTube. Right now, maybe. It depends on what you're watching. All of that at DanLaw83. If you're on your smartphone, if you go to your podcast app, whether it be an Android podcast app, the Apple podcast app, 
or Spotify. If you're on Spotify, type in VOC Nation Radio Network. You will find our channel. Listen to the audio versions there. Do both while you go to sleep. Just play the video while you sleep. Put it in the background. It'll work that way. Twitter, of course, HIC Talk Radio. For Craig Legans, I'm the above average community, Dan Calchigo. And don't you know, I have to eat a Spam and Oreo burger next week because it's Nerd Herders. Yeah. Spam, 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 spam. Goodbye. Hey, this is a total package. Lex Luger, you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is 
the VOC Nation Radio Network.